Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So thankful that you are joining us today on the broadcast. It's Tuesday, and we are making a quick progress through the week, and we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians this week. And I want to focus on kind of a central theme today on the whole broadcast, and that is the power of unity. Now, when you think about unity, you think about people coming together, common cause, common objective. And and you think about the difference between maybe uh, what we can accomplish if we're unified versus what we can accomplish when we're not unified. You you know, there's a difference between, for example, the word companion and the word communion. You know, you think companionship. You got a companion. And and many people, this is where they are with God. They have a, uh, they're a companion with God. And uh, they come to recognize we've got these weaknesses in our lives. And so let's team up with God. However, companionship can come and go, right? And, And if you look at your life and just look over the last five years. How many new people have come into your life? How many people have left your life? And and maybe not that they have permanently left you, but you used to see them every week. Now you hardly ever see them. Uh, The difference between communion and companionship is this. In communion, you stay with God. We stay with Him. In companionship, we may stay for Him for a short period of time. In communion, we recognize our depth in our spirit. In companionship with God, we learn to see and understand, but we will leave it easy and we won't stay connected with it. In communion with God, we long to feel and to be long in that relationship. Have you ever wondered about your faith and doubted if you had enough faith or wished that you had more? Few things are more misunderstood than faith, yet few things are more important. I think about a cat. You know, we used to have a cat, and that cat was very persistent in her pursuit of the mouse. I remember one, uh, it was kind of getting cold and we had a mouse in the house and, and I watched that cat go after that mouse. That cat was persistent. That cat would wait when that mouse ran under the door to the pantry and that cat would just sit there and wait and wait and wait and wait. He knew there was no other way for that mouse to get out except back under that door. You know, I saw something interesting about a mouse one day when I was at the prison and uh, I saw a mouse go right under the door. And I said, how in the world did he fit under that door? Well, you know, mice have this unbelievable ability to just lower their bodies like flat as a pancake, and then they scurry under the door. It just blew my mind that a mouse could get that small and that flat and go right underneath that door. Well, one day my old cat got tired of waiting for that mouse and uh, pretended like he was wandering off, and that mouse snuck out, and lo and behold, my cat turned around and pounced on that mouse, and then started playing with that mouse. Well, you know, you think about mice, you think about how we are, uh, as Christians, sometimes are just trying to run from our responsibility and run from what God wants us to be. Uh, Many people are kind of like rabbits. I I heard a story about rabbit hole Christians. Many believers are rabbit hole Christians. In the morning, they pop out of their safe Christian homes, hold their breath at work all day long, scurry back to their families, and then off to their Bible studies, and finally end the day praying for the unbelievers, praying for the believers to get saved, the ones that they have safely avoided all day long. Well, today I want to talk to you about this very important subject of unity. Now, sometimes in order to understand a subject, you have to understand the opposite of that subject. The root of all disunity stems from selfishness. That is based on two things. If you struggle with selfishness, and by the way, we all do, okay, the struggle with selfishness is based on two things. Number one is a faulty belief system. It is actually this this external attack 
through wrong theology, a wrong view of who God is. Secondly, it will be the hurt that we experience. Hurting believers, faulty beliefs and hurting believers, inward attack through wrong thinking. In other words, somebody will say something, and we wrongly process it, and we become hurt. Let's look at that first one, faulty beliefs. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 1. Finally, my brothers and my sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. So, faulty beliefs. Watch out for those false teachers, those evildoers, those dogs is what Paul calls them. And what they were was those who would put these unbelievable weights upon people, and they would say, you've got to be circumcised, for example, to be born again. Uh, you, you've got to, they would mix humanistic doctrine with Christian doctrine. You know, when you think about this, when there's jealousy and when there's selfishness, there's disorder of every single kind. So one of the ways you know that you're battling bad theology is that you're having trouble getting along with other believers. Now, James put it this way, James 3.16, in today's English version, he says, where there is jealousy and selfishness, there is also disorder and every kind of evil. See, see, it's going back to this selfishness based on faulty beliefs. So if your theology is wrong, so will your thoughts about others. You see, how I view God is probably the most important thing you must get right. If you have a wrong view of God, you can have a wrong view of others. When you view God wrongly, you also view people wrongly, which leads to the second issue of disunity. The second reason we're selfish is because we are hurting believers, an inward attack through wrong thinking. Now, look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And he says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So here we discover that there's a battle that is taking place between two believers. Now that word, yodia, means a sweet scent. Don't you love that? Her parents, when she was born, gave her a Greek name, and it means a sweet scent. Syntyche means one who is fortunate, one who is literally living within their fate. Now as we look at these two women that are mentioned, they're members of the church at Philippi, And according to the text, they had some kind of a disagreement together. The author of this letter, Paul, is giving us this misgivings that he's having, and he says that there is an internal disunity. And because of this disunity, it is seriously undermining the church. And so he says, I beseech these two women to agree in the Lord. Now, now this is such an important thing that I think so many times is missed. So many times we say, well, you two work it out, right? Uh, Find out what the problem, you two work it out. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, you agree in the Lord. In other words, what does God's word say about this? Where is 
God's word in this disagreement. You know, when you think about a unified mind, a unified mind leads to a unified body. James put it this way, James 1, 6, verse 6 through 8. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like that wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is dual-minded, unstable in all they do. So, So James is telling us here, when we ask for something of the Lord, we must believe, because if we don't believe, we're dual-minded. Uh, maybe we're asking for wrong motivations, and so that's hindering our faith. But he says, don't doubt when you ask, because if you doubt, you like that wave of the sea. In other words, if you can't get your mind settled on what you're asking, if you can't get your mind central or a single purpose, then it's going to affect your body. You're going to be unstable in all of your ways. Your body will eventually go where your mind lives. You know, this is so true when it comes to marriages. You know, marriages fall apart one to three years before they fall apart. So what are you talking about? When you think about a marriage that falls apart, that dissolves into the ultimate divorce, that divorce begins one to three years prior to the actual divorce. What happens? We start thinking wrongly about our spouse. We start believing wrong things about our spouse. We start fueling it by getting other people to agree with our wrong thoughts about our spouse. We establish this root of bitterness toward our spouse. And then it takes one to three years for it to eventually come to a head. And then something happens. And, and generally, it's something that hasn't been resolved. It's generally not been a big issue. It's a little issue that has been unresolved and been festering for a long time. It finally bursts, right? It can only handle so much pressure. You can only put so much air in the balloon, and finally the balloon bursts. The same is true when you leave a job. Same is true when you leave a church. You know, I can generally tell when somebody is getting ready to leave our church, usually about a year before they leave. Now, little things get uh, undone, and and they get turned sideways on things, and they they never really properly resolve issues, and, and, and they begin to distance themselves from other people. They begin to resign from certain ministry positions, and they are no longer as faithful as they used to be. They used to be there every Sunday, and, and now it's kind of every other Sunday. Uh, they used to be really connected with a small group. Now they're kind of hit and miss, and they used to serve faithfully, and now they're kind of inconsistent in their service. You, you see, they give away these little telltale signs that something's not right, and if they don't deal with it, Eventually, it's going to be leading to this person being dual-minded and unstable in all of their ways. You see, the root of all disunity stems from selfishness. The root of all unity stems from unselfishness. That is based upon the mind of Christ. When I think about how we can change and how we can become habitually having the attitude of of a unified church, we've got to have positive thoughts of others. Without criticism. You know, Jesus put it this way Jesus says, I've really done a lot for you, and you don't even appreciate it. Well, no, he didn't say that. I hope you caught that. Uh, No, Jesus never says, I've done a whole lot for you. Why don't you appreciate it? Now, that's things that we say, right? Uh, Usually, that's how we begin this whole process of criticism. You don't know all that I've done for you. No, the, the winner gives glory to God every single time. Winners are always glorying in the good. The whiners will major on the mediocre, 
winners thinking of a, a process and that their process of thinking is different than those who would be considered non-winners. Losers concentrate on, on their waking thoughts, on, on what they should have done, what they, they could have done. When those who are positive and those who are able to make a, a difference, they think a whole lot different. They don't focus on criticism. They think on solutions. Philippians 2.5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus did, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, don't you love how Paul records how Christ walked on this earth? And Christ, who was God himself in flesh, didn't consider this thing as something that should be used to his own advantage. No, he actually lowered himself. In John 13, 34, it says, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. And here it is. Love each other as they have loved you. Oh, man, I misquoted it again. No, no, Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So we've learned, first of all, that positive thoughts of others without criticism will lead us to be more unified. Secondly, faithful actions of service without complaining will also lead to unity. Mark Twain says this, don't complain and talk about your problems. Why not? I love to complain about my problems. Well, 80% of people don't care. That's right. Eight out of 10 people don't care about your problems. The other 20% will think you deserve them. (laughs) So uh, don't complain about your problems. Don't talk about your problems. Listen, the one thing we all have in common, we all have problems. Now, those who do the least complaining uh, are often uh, those who have the most to complain about. But they discovered that there's, there's no positive things coming from complaining. Look what Jesus did in Philippians chapter 2, 7. He made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of the servant, being made in human likeness. You know, the Bible actually commands us to do everything that we do without complaining. Oh, yeah, it does. Philippians 2, 14. Do everything without complaining or without arguing. You know, a guy one day told me that he had the gift of grumbling. I said, you ought to go bury that gift. You know, number 1611 says, it is against the Lord that you and all of your followers have banded together. And then who is this Aaron that you should grumble against him? You see, complaining is really grumbling against the Lord. A monk joined a monastery one time and took a vow of silence. After the first 10 years, his superior called him in and asked, do you have anything to say. The monk replied, food, bad. After another 10 years, the monk again had the opportunity to voice his thoughts. He said, bed, hard. After 10 more years went by and he again was called in before his supervisor. When he asked if he had anything to say, he responded, I quit. His supervisor says, well, that doesn't really surprise me a bit. You've done nothing but complain ever since you've gotten here. You know, in unsanctified moments, we may say things that we wish we hadn't said. I want to encourage you today. Positive thoughts lead to unity. Faithful actions without complaining lead to unity. Humility, number three, humbly giving of sacrifices without comparing leads to unity. 
You see, we don't take up our cross daily to crucify Christ again. You know, Jesus says, take up the cross daily. We don't do that to crucify him again. We do that to crucify ourselves. You know, if we compare ourselves with others, we will become either proud or discouraged. And neither is from God. You see, you can always find somebody that you're doing much better than. You can also find somebody who's doing much better than you are. You see, compare, I sin. When I begin to compare myself with other people, I am going to sin. We are told in Philippians 2, 8, that Christ being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of a cross. In his recent book, Bruxy Cavey writes, The Victoria Cross is Canada's highest military honor, similar to our Medal of Honor here in the United States. These medals are awarded for personal acts of valor above and beyond the call of duty. Of the thousands awarded each date, more citations have been bestowed for falling on grenades to save comrades than any other single act. The very first Victorian Cross of World War II was awarded to Company Sergeant Major John Robert Osborne. The Sergeant Major and his men were cut off from their battalion and under heavy attack. When the enemy came close enough, the Canadian soldiers were subjected to a concentrated barrage of grenades. Several times, Osborne protected his men by picking up live grenades and throwing them back. But eventually, one fell in just the wrong position to pick it up in time. With only a split second to decide, Osborne shouted a warning and threw himself on top of the grenade. It exploded, killing him instantly. The rest of his company survived that battle because of Osborne's selfless, other-centeredness. You know, I love stories of this kind of bravery, self-sacrifice. They give me hope, hope for humanity, and offer us all a glimpse of God's goodness, and it's reflected as we are His image bearers. But you don't know how, no matter how beautiful that heroic act may be, through Jesus we can see even greater love that God gives us, the the heart of God. We see soldiers who fall on grenades, and they do so out of love for their friends. And that is great. We don't diminish that when they're on the battlefield trying to, to kill out their enemies. But Jesus died not for his friends. Jesus died for his enemies, for every one of us in between. I don't know about you, but I am blown away by the love of Christ for me. You know, if we make a sacrifice on behalf of Christ, our sacrifice should be made to encourage, not to compare, not to condemn. There is a tremendous power in encouragement. The students at Sandy's High School were badly shaken by the news that their classmate had killed himself. The suicide note said, It's hard to live when nobody cares if you die. Then a teacher realized that this was a teachable moment about the importance of making others feel valued. He asked the class to imagine they were about to die and to write a note telling someone how and why you appreciate them. Sandy, who had a rocky relationship with her mother, decided to write to her mom. Her letter said, Mom, we've had some rough times, and I haven't always been a very good daughter. But I'm not, I know I'm lucky to have you in my life. You are the best person I've ever known. And even when I disagree with you, 
I never doubt you love me and you want what's best for me. Thanks for not giving up on me. When her mom read that note, she cried and she hugged Sandy tightly and she said the next morning, Sandy found a note on her mirror. Dearest Sandy, I want you to know being your mother is by far the most important thing in my life. Until I got your note, I thought I had lost your love and your respect. I felt like such a failure. I intended to end it all last night. Your note saved my life. You never know the encouraging words that you give to somebody else, how that is going to possibly save their lives. We've talked about positive thoughts. We've talked about faithful actions. we talked about humbly giving of sacrifices without comparing. And number four, we talk about sincerely glorifying Christ without conceit. And, and don't forget that phrase at the end, without conceit. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it tells us to, to keep watch over yourselves. And, and this is giving as a charge, especially to pastors, to, to keep watch over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, as you think about this keeping watch over that flock, we, we don't do it for self-glory. We do it for the glory of God. In 2 Corinthians 10, 17, it says that he who gives glory should let him glory in the Lord. Right? If the Lord blesses you to bless others, don't take the credit for that. Don't become the hero of your own stories. Always give glory back to God. You know, we're told in Philippians 2 that God exalted Christ to the highest place and gave him them that name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When I think about the courageous sacrifice of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, I'm reminded of the story I heard one day that talks about kingdoms. You know, most kingdoms do anything they can to protect their king. It's kind of like an unspoken premise of the game of chess, for example. In the game of chess, when the king falls, the kingdom is lost, the game is over. Therefore, the king must be protected at all costs. Another Notable example comes from the Allied invasion of Normandy on D-Day, June 6, 1944. Prime Minister Winston Churchill desperately wanted to join the, the, the forces and watch the invasion from the bridge of a battleship on the English Channel. U.S. General Dwight David Eisenhower was desperate to stop him for fear that the prime minister might be killed in the battle. When it became apparent that Churchill would not be dissuaded, Eisenhower appealed to a higher authority, King George VI. The king went and told Churchill that if it was the prime minister's duty to witness the invasion, he could only conclude that it was also his duty as king to join him on the battleship. At that point, Churchill reluctantly agreed to back down. He knew that he could never expose the king of England to such danger. You know, King Jesus did just the opposite. With royal courage, he, he surrendered his body to be crucified. On the cross, he offered a king's ransom, his life for the life of his people. 
He would die for all the wrong things that we had ever done and would ever do, completely atoning for all sins. The crown of thorns that was meant to be a mockery became a royal claim, and he proclaimed his king with dignity even in death. In his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis notes how believers often underestimate the full riches God has for his children. He says this, If we consider the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted Christians, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Well, my brothers and sisters, I want to thank you for listening to the broadcast today. And in the closing moments of our broadcast, it is my desire to help you to be a prayer warrior praying for your family, praying for unity within your church. I'm going to close our broadcast by just giving a brief prayer of blessing upon you. So to all those who are listening today, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord allow his face to shine upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for listening today. I hope that you are living a life of unity. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.